Well, good morning and welcome. So glad that you all survived uh, the Leaf Peepers uh, traffic on your, on your way here. Uh, gets uh, a little uh, tricky navigating uh, around people who don't know where they are. So let me just remind you, when you go to other places that, with which you're not as familiar, you drive just like they do. Really. I've seen some of you. No, but uh, perhaps no greater opportunity this weekend than for us to extend grace to people that are lost and don't know where they are, right? So be kind. Pray for them. Pray for the rest of us. And try to enjoy all the wondrous colors that God has given us. All right, well, let's take a few moments uh, to look over the order of worship. You'll find in there some announcements, things like the the funeral uh, memorial service this afternoon at 3. If you don't already have plans, we'd love to have you join us here at 3 o'clock this afternoon for uh, Jerry's memorial service. And you may say, well, wait a minute, I I didn't really know Jerry that well. Uh, that's okay. It's, it's still an, a great opportunity for us to, to celebrate God's goodness in giving us uh, a wonderful person uh, to uh, demonstrate God's grace. Uh, and it's encouragement to Andy and the rest of, of his family. So we'd encourage you to, to either stick around or to come back at three. Uh, and let's take a, a few moments now and prepare our hearts to worship our God and King. Let's stand together for the call to worship. We come to God through grace that he has extended to us by faith in Jesus Christ, who is the one who has made us what we are. And so, hear these words from 1 Peter. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Praise be to the Lord. Let's join in singing together hymn number one, All People That on Earth Do Dwell. Let's join together hymn number one.
Thank you. You may be seated. Indeed, as we just sang, his truth shall endure forever and ever. His truth is sure. We give you praise and thanks, our Lord God. And so we find this same truth in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22, where Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And of course, those commands show us our lack of obedience. And so we have a prayer of confession in your order of worship this morning as a way of priming the pump, so to speak. I don't know if you ever have this experience, but when you come to God in prayer and, and you've been rushing to and fro and all these various different things, and it's like, okay, I just... So for me, oftentimes, using some of the prayers that saints have written in, in seasons gone by, in years or even uh, centuries before, can help me to, to yes, that's right, that's, that's what I need to be focusing on as I talk to the Lord this morning. And so we're going to read this prayer out loud uh, as a way of kind of priming that pump and then give you an opportunity to pray silently by yourself to the Lord. And you might just grab a phrase or, or a part of the, the prayer that we uh, pray together and focus on that in, in your personal time of prayer with God. But let's pray this together now. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone, we have not loved you with our whole heart, soul, or strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive our many sins and the disbelief that drives us in such rebellion. Turn us from our sin and back to you. Direct our path that we may delight in your will, walk in your ways, and bring glory to your name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please take a few moments now silently. The Lord himself made this great promise to our spiritual father, Abraham. We read in Genesis 17 how it says, And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Praise be to the Lord. At this time, we'll receive the regular offering. Again, this is the second Sunday of the month. 
So we have our regular offering, and then in uh, a little bit later, we're going to have the deacon's offering. This regular offering is for the, the regular ongoing ministry of the whole church. Thank you. Oh, Lord Christ, we thank you and praise you for the privilege that you give us to participate in your kingdom, to give of the things that you have given to us, that you might use them to extend your kingdom, to help men and women and boys and girls not only hear about your wondrous good news, but also to know it and experience it through loving actions and kind words. Lord, we pray that you would use all of these gifts, the tithes and offerings that you have provided through your people to accomplish these things for your glory. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We come now to what we call the pastoral prayer. That's not just when you sit there and the pastor prays but where we together pray pastorally, that is, praying for the needs of other people, those with whom we're in relationship with, neighbors, coworkers, friends, family members, uh, but that this is our opportunity together to serve not just ourselves, but also those that God has brought into our life. And so as I lead us in praying, let me encourage you to where you agree to say amen, to where you hear a need that you want to ask the Lord about as well, that you would say, yes, Lord, that as we pray, you would be as active in our prayer together as I am. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your goodness and grace to us. Lord, we thank you for little ones with lots of wiggles and the way that that indicates um, health and energy that are gifts from you. Lord, we pray that you would help us as a family to be welcoming and um, loving to the children that you bring into our midst. Father, we thank you so much for um, Buddy's recovery to be able to be here with us this morning, and we thank you for Susan and all of her loving care for Buddy over the last months. We pray, Lord, for others in our congregation who are struggling with physical and medical challenges. We pray for Sue Holtberg and 
Adrian, we pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless them and heal them. Uh, Lord, we, we ask that you would continue your recovery in Carol's life and uh, for Cora Coop and her healing from knee replacement surgery this week. Uh, Lord, for these and all those that we know who are, who are either struggling with long-term issues or are recovering from them. Lord, we pray that you would provide healing and care. Help us as your people to be mindful of them and to remember them. Father, we, we thank you uh, and praise you for the opportunity to do these things. And Lord, we pray for those who are struggling with um, grief, with um, the loss of loved ones, as we have a uh, a memorial this afternoon and as we have uh, the anniversary of Norm's passing yesterday, eight years ago, as we have others who you have called home that we are missing and Lord we pray that you would strengthen us and in missing these loved ones Lord that you would help us to long for uh, the resurrection when there will be no more suffering or pain or death. Father, we, we pray for those among us who are struggling with a need for work or who um, are underemployed or, or struggling with the ability to work. Lord, we pray that you would provide meaningful jobs and uh, livable wages uh, for those that um, have, have not had that in particular, Lord. Father, we, we bless you and give you praise. We thank you for this day and your calling us in it to worship you. We pray more and more, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to do so with joyful hearts, rejoicing in all that you have done, Lord Christ. For it's in your name we ask it. Amen. So uh, we're going to have in just a moment the deacon's offering. Again, the deacon's offering is a specific offering that is geared towards the physical need. So if, if you yourself have a physical need or know someone who does, maybe uh, someone who's struggling to pay the rent or a utility bill or uh, doesn't have a, a, a vehicle to, to get to work in or any number of things like that, uh, that's the kind of thing in particular that the deacons are most wanting to help with in the name of Christ and, and as a witness uh, of our church uh, following Christ in the community. And so uh, that's what this deacon's offering is earmarked for. Thank you.
Thank you. It is such a blessing to hear the bells in our church again. And Lord, we thank you uh, not only for the gift of music, but for the gift of mercy. We pray that you would continue your work through the deacons that you have raised up in this congregation, uh, that they would not only be the ones doing mercy ministry, but that we as a congregation would join in that ministry with them. We pray that you would use this offering uh, to the furtherance of that care for those that you have brought into our lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, I'm going to have the Bauer family uh, come up and uh, bring Cullen, who is their uh, new baby, and uh, we're going to baptize uh, Cullen in, into the church. Uh, and, and I just wanted to take a moment to explain some of that. Uh, this is an issue that has unfortunately been one of, of um, disagreement and even sometimes discord, uh, in that as a congregational church, we have a a theological framework that we have uh, adopted believing it to be what what the scripture teaches and yet we also as a, as a congregational church we're we're really the evangelical church in the area right uh, uh, particularly in, in Woodstock uh, but as a result of that we have had people of various different convictions over baptism and kind of the the big uh, dispute or question is whether or not to baptize only professing believers as adults or to all to baptize them and then also the children of believing Christians and and unfortunately this is one of those things that that as a sign and seal of God's grace to his people we've taken that and made it something that that we fight about uh, and and so let me just encourage you as your pastor that, that wherever you are on the question of who are the appropriate people to be baptized, that we would switch from looking at that question kind of with, with uh, a magnifying glass and focus on what we can agree together about, which is that baptism is really not about the person being baptized, nearly as much as it is about the God in whose name we baptize whoever we baptize. That, that if we will focus on him and what baptism symbolizes, I think we can agree on that and actually be greatly blessed together as we also bless this family. So in your pew Bible, if you will open it to uh, the book of Colossians, in your pew Bible, it's page 984, and I'm going to resist very strenuously the, the temptation to preach a whole other sermon on baptism, which is not what I'm planning on doing, but to read and then just give a very brief explanation of this passage in prologue to what we're about to do. So this is in Colossians chapter 2, again in your uh, pew Bible, page 984, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 9 through 12. Hear God's holy, inerrant word. 
For in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. So one of the first things that I want you to see in that passage is the emphasis of who it's talking about. He talks about Christ and then use, uses the, the pronoun he or him for Christ again and again in that passage. He also speaks about you, those who are the recipients of this baptism, what he calls the circumcision of Christ. That's, that's how Paul, by the Holy Spirit, is defining baptism here. And, and that in this passage, he keeps our focus on Christ. And then you who were baptized, you who have received the circumcision of Christ, that's all about glorifying Christ. So as we come to the waters of baptism, right, what do we use water for? Well, lots of things. But in this particular instance, in this particular covenant, sign and seal, the water is a signifier of cleansing. And what it is saying most of all is, is that we need to be cleansed. All of us. And that in coming to baptism, whether you are a professing, believing adult, you come to baptism by, as a way of saying, I am filthy, I need cleansed. Or whether you're believing Christian parents who understand this amazing little bundle of joy, this baby, while wonderful, needs to be cleansed. And so we come to the waters of baptism to meet Christ, to focus on Christ, to praise Christ. Here in baptism, the focus is Christ because he is the only one who is able to cleanse us. That's our focus. Yeah, there are lots of other intramural debates and discussions that we can have, but the primary focus of what we all want to be on the same page about is, is that every one of us needs to be cleansed because we are all sinners. And that Christ is the only one who can cleanse us because he washes us with his own blood. And so, we're going to have Cullen and his family come up and, and uh, stand here with us. And I'm, I've asked Steve Briggs. Uh, we here at First Congregational Church of Woodstock not only have elders, but each of the elders have uh, folks in, in their shepherding care. And so Stephen Briggs is one of the, the elders, uh, particularly uh, checking in and, and uh, praying for and uh, encouraging uh, this lovely family. Come on up here. We're going to have you guys stand right here. And we've got not only uh, Cullen, uh, but his big adoring brother uh, that we are thrilled to see again. So let me ask uh, you, Haley and Stephen, 
these questions. And then in a moment, I'm going to turn to you as members. You'll find uh, uh, some questions here for you. Uh, and so after we ask these of uh, Cullen's parents, I'm going to ask of you as members of First Congregational Church of Woodstock to take those vows as well. So Haley and Stephen, do you acknowledge that our children are conceived and born in sin and therefore deserve condemnation and so are in need of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ and the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit, do you? We do. Do you believe the doctrine of this congregation to be what is taught in the Old and New Testament and therefore the truth of God himself, do you? And do you hereby exclusively commit Cullen to Christ and promise in humble reliance upon his Holy Spirit that you will bring him up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Do you? We do. And so for you as members, please stand if you're a member of First Congregational Church of Woodstock and answer this. Do you, the members of FCCW, promise to receive this child as one of your own and to love and care for him as you are able? And do you promise that by God's grace you will endeavor to pray for and assist these parents in their fulfillment of the covenant, do you? And so now, Cullen Crew Bauer, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What the heck? Oh. What is that? You guys can be seated. This is Cullen. And, and if he hasn't already stolen your heart, he will. Cullen is a wonderful little boy. And he's got to be the most chill kid I have ever seen. Rise is his big brother. And Rise, as you may know, <laughs> is about the opposite of chill as you can get. And so, uh, Mr. Wildman and Mr. Chill here, as brothers uh, together, are learning the ways of Christ. And the way that they learn Christ is they're watching you. They're watching everything you do. They're watching and listening to when you talk about Christ. And they're watching and listening to the way that you live according to that profession. And we as a church family have this incredible privilege to love them, to care for them, to raise them up in the covenant of the Lord. What do you think? So I've asked Stephen to pray uh, for Colin. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, 
that went down to the skirts of his garments, as the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, these words bring to mind the family of Christ, that precious body that springs forth from the covenant that you have made with your people. It is from of old, and it is marvelous to us. It also reminds us of your kessed love, that you, Lord, have loved us with a steadfast love that endures forever, a faithfulness that lasts for generations. Lord, you have established this covenant in the same manner as you have established the earth. It is secure and it is well ordered. And so this day, we pray for Colin. We lift him up to you and we ask for him, our little brother and your son, that your Holy Spirit would sanctify him and set him apart for your purposes. And may he walk before you and be found blameless due to the imputed righteousness of your son Jesus. Oh, steadfast and faithful one, we ask that your Holy Spirit indwell and counsel him in all your ways and commandments. Bind them around his neck and write them on the tablet of his heart that he may know you and find favor before your eyes. We give you thanks for calling. And we love you, Jesus, who said, let the little children come unto me. We praise your name to your glory and all of this with great thanksgiving. Amen. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. This is from Genesis uh, chapter 1, verses 26 to chapter 2, verse 3. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. To every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. 
and it was so. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work and he ha- that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Let's join together in singing hymn number 44, How Great Thou Art.
Thank you. You may be seated. If you'll take out that pew Bible again and turn with me to page 61. We're looking together at Exodus chapter 20 as we continue our way through the Ten Commandments. Again, it's page 61, Exodus 20. I'll be reading verses 1 to 21. Hear now God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off. And said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your speaking to us, that you have not left us in ignorance, but have spoken to us and given us your word, that we can know who you are and what you're like and who you've created us to be and how we're supposed to live. Lord, thank you that we're not left groping in the dark, but that you actually invite us to draw near to you as Moses did here and as you call all your people to do. 
And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would enliven us, give us ears with which to hear and eyes with which to see the, the truth and reality of who you are and how it is that we are supposed to live. We pray, Lord, that you would do all these things, for it's in Christ's name that we ask them. Amen. So that's the context of what we're looking at in terms of the Ten Commandments. Let me remind us again what we're specifically looking at today in what's often referred to as the Fourth Commandment. This is verses 8 to 11 in the passage that we just read. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your manservant, your female servant, your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. you ever been in one of those socially awkward situations where you're dining out and the, the waiter brings the check and you haven't talked with your wife yet about what your part is going to be and the people that you're with, you, you're, you don't really know that well, and so everybody reaches, you know, for the check. And, and then there's this, you know, little game of how we, how we dance that, that whole thing. And that, that oftentimes when, when one person gets the, the check, the other person responds, well, uh, okay, next time's on us. Have you ever done those kinds of things? Or maybe you've been in a, in a situation where uh, you're with your siblings and a gift is being given. And, and the gift is amazing. And it's just out of the blue. Like it's not anybody's birthday. It's not Christmas. It, it's just... Your, your parents show up and give one of your siblings a gift. You go, wow, that's amazing. And then, like, what's the next thought that you have? Any other gifts behind mom and dad? You know, or if you're the older sibling and one of your younger siblings has just received such a gift, you just think, mine, and grab it, and, you know, that's, that's the end of that. Isn't it, isn't it bizarre how generosity can lead us to be the most ungenerous ever? Like a, a display of generosity, a gift given, and, and we're so prone to think, what's in this for me? rather than, wow, that's awesome. I'm so excited for you. As we've been seeing in the Ten Commandments, our, our whole approach to the Ten Commandments is upside down, backwards, and all messed up. And as we, as we saw in, in the beginning, the prologue, before any commands are given, before there are any stipulations, before there are any requirements or prohibitions or anything like that, 
God starts by saying, I have already redeemed you. And we saw that that's, that's the preface for the whole thing. All Ten Commandments are, are prefaced by God doing it and are not contributing a lick to what he has accomplished. And yet, I would dare to say that this particular commandment of the Sabbath is perhaps one of the greatest gifts that, that we've ever received. And it has prompted more bickering and, and more fighting and more selfishness and self-preoccupation than just about anything that I can think of in all of human history. The Sabbath was something that the people squabbled over even before this. In, in Genesis 16, God introduces the Sabbath in, in terms of what that's going to mean in their diet, in what they're going to eat every day for 40 years. You remember the manna? This amazing gift of God, this bread of heaven that God just causes to form in the dew and, and be there for... I'm sorry, I said Genesis 16. It's Exodus 16. Sorry, thank you for that. Exodus 16. He, they're, they're coming up out of, out of Egypt and, and God is giving them this bread of heaven that just materializes and he tells them, go out and collect it and, and get a day's worth, but only a day's worth, and you'll be able to eat it every day except the day before the Sabbath. On, on Friday, collect twice as much, and, and that way you'll be provided not only for Friday, but also for Saturday. And so right out of the gate, what do people do? They went out and collect more. And they, they think, okay, there's manna today, but who knows about tomorrow? What's the key issue that's going on there? Right? They're in the desert, more than a million people. There's, there's no market basket, there's no max, there's no farmer's market. There. And, and he says, I will provide for you. He's the one who provides the bread of heaven. All they have to do is go out and, and pick it up, and it's right there. They don't have to bake it. They don't have to do knead it, nothing. And they start hoarding it. And then what happens overnight? <laughs> it rots. The worms get in it. He says, no. I didn't say collect for tomorrow. I said collect for today. It's kind of like that thing Jesus talked about, give us this day our daily bread. It's all about trust. Trusting God at his word to provide for us. And then not only do they, do they gather too much and find that it rots the next day, then, then they go through the week and they're, they're gathering todays and some of them are still finding out, hey, this still doesn't, it wasn't just Monday night that the things rotted, or Sunday night rather. But, but they go through this whole, whole thing and then Friday comes, and he says, gather twice. And then they wake up Saturday morning. What are they expecting? More worms, more rot, right? That's what happened every other day. 
But now it's Saturday, and, and it's still good, and they can eat it. God is faithful to his word. And, and he uses the Sabbath day as a way of very tangibly, very specifically showing them, I am the God who has completed what I've promised for you. And that I will care for you on the Sabbath day so that you are freed up to spend the whole day just delighting in me because you don't have to worry about food. But this is, this is what we always do with God's good gifts. And so we're going to look particularly at the Sabbath and see the, some of the specific ways we do that and what's the solution? How do we, how do we get out of that trap of, of what we seemingly always do? So look at your outline here. It's got God has set apart the Sabbath as holy to himself. That's the first thing that we're going to look at is the Sabbath as being holy unto the Lord. The second thing is, is that Yahweh, that's the covenant name of the God of the Bible, Yahweh demands that his people keep it holy. He's made it holy. He commands us to keep it holy as well, to remember what he's done. And then third, we'll see how Jesus, as the Lord of the Sabbath, is the one who answers all of our struggles about our self-focus. So first thing, God has set apart the Sabbath as holy to himself. Here in the particular text that we're looking at, verses 8 to 11, we see that, that this act of God of consecrating or setting apart or making holy this one in seven of the days bookends the passage we see it at the end, verse 11, therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. But it's also at the beginning where he says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. It's, it's set apart to the Lord your God. And, and so we find in, in the command about the Sabbath that again, the the focus of the command is God setting apart one day in seven as holy. And oftentimes we think of holy in, in kind of bizarre uh, terms of, of holy is um, just meaning that, that there's no moral fault, right? That, that holiness is, is all about just not messing up spiritually. And that, that's an aspect of, of holiness. But, but the biblical view of holiness is much broader and all-encompassing from that. It has to do with being set apart, made holy, as serving the Lord's unique purposes. That, that he has set things apart for his use apart from common, ordinary use. In terms of the stuff that you do all the time, or as the regular sorts of things... And, and then there's this holy use of the things that the Lord would do, the, the way that he would use them for himself. So you may have grown up in a family where, you know, some, some parent or grandparent made something, and of the whole, they set a part aside 
for dad or for mom or for, you know, the, the best loved child or what, you know. They, they set it apart for that use and only that use. And woe unto you if you were not the one who was supposed to be using that and you used it instead. That was bad. Because right? it's set apart for that kind of separate use. In, in Israel, that was something that, that there was a lot of in terms of their daily life of the things that were made holy for sacred use. And there was this whole idea of if you were clean and could make use of those things, or if you had become unclean, that before you could use the holy things, you had to go through the cleansing process. So there's a lot of overlap in those things, but the main thing that I want you to see is here, God sets apart an entire day of the week and said, this day is mine for my explicit purposes and nothing else is supposed to happen on that day. Now, not only do we see this in this passage, but earlier in the service we read from the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2. And, and there, God consecrates or separates the Sabbath day as holy, as being for his particular purposes. And in that, he describes those uh, purposes. Did you hear that? Turn with me back to Genesis chapter 2, just those first three verses. As he's summarizing all of creation, he says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all his works that he had done in creation. So one of the things that we find in the scripture, like elsewhere, is, is that when something's repeated, usually it's important. There's a reason why it's being repeated. And there John Frame makes the, the point in his theology on lordship that it's the finished work of God that is being stressed. In, in chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. That what he's doing is saying, I've done everything that I'm going to do in making creation, and that's a finished work, and so now I am going to rest from it. But have you ever wondered about that? I, as a kid growing up in, in the church, hearing the Bible read and all those things, I would hear that and just kind of go, what in the world does that mean? Like, I get what rest means for us when when we're doing a bunch of hard work and and we need rest it's it's not just you know this it'd be nice to catch a break but like if i continue on i'm going to pass out and i i need to to rest catch my breath so that i can continue working god never has that problem so so what is it that rest is about for God to take it. And I think it's this idea of completion, of him finishing the work. And, and when we talk about rest in the Sabbath, the scripture goes through and talks all kinds of ways about that rest being not just catching your breath, but a restfulness of celebration. A, a renewal of a reinvigoration of the celebration 
And so God has marked the completion of his work in creation and said, this thing that I've done is worth celebrating. And so he sets aside a whole day to celebrate what he has completed. Now, we do this in other realms as well, uh, but we also, like in, in having to do with the Sabbath, we forget it. So somebody came up with the idea that, that we should have a day to remember our soldiers who died. That's a, that's a worthy thing. Say, these, these people have given their lives to serve this nation, to protect and provide for, for these people. And so we're going to set aside a day every year to, to remember them. And, and often that happens, but most often what happens on Memorial Day? We have a picnic, go to the lake, I mean, barbecue, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with those things, but it's not the purpose for which that day was set aside. And, and so what God says is when he gives us a day for a particular purpose to celebrate his completed work of creation, and we take that as sweet, got the day off. And we do other stuff and neglect entirely what he set the day aside for. That's what the scripture calls profaning his holy day. And so we're going to look a little bit about that. But, but first I want you to understand that it is God who is the one who sets apart the Sabbath day as holy to himself. He is the Lord who has created all that there is and the one who then has set apart a day to say, that's done, we're going to celebrate. We're going to enjoy. And that, that what I'm using is the title, a command celebration, that, that's getting at this whole idea of he sets it apart, he, he's commanding, you are to celebrate my finished work in, in creation. And, and yet, we... We have a hard time with that, being commanded to celebrate. But I also want you to see that in, in God setting this day apart, he does so as part of creation. That, that this is not just a command that shows up for the first time in Exodus, specifically for the people of Israel. This is actually something that he gives to the whole of humanity. It's, it's part of the creation mandate. And so he, he puts it right up front in the beginning of, of Genesis to, to show us that this is not just something that is applicable to Israel, but this is something that, that has to do with all of creation and has to do with all people. And so the, the Sabbath is established as part of this creation, and it's also established before the fall. Right? So Adam and Eve that are then going to receive this, the work that they were doing, and they did do work in the garden before the fall, but it's before the thorns and the thistles. It's before the curse of the earth that makes work hard. So again, the, the thing that that shows us is, is that the command to have a day off may be partly because we need relief, 
But that can't be the primary thing because of when it's given before the fall. Before labor was burdensome. Does that make sense? So he gives it to us not at this time because we need it so much as because the bigger need is for us to celebrate God's completed work. And then he makes the prohibition here in Exodus 20 all the more clear and all the more completely inclusive of everything. Notice what he says. Six days you are to labor, but not on the seventh. On it you shall not, he uses the emphatic negative here, and then he says, not only am I prohibiting saying not for you to work, but you're not to do any work. And then he goes on to say, not only are you not to do any work, but neither are your children or your servants. And he specifies male and female. Why does he specify your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant? Why, why use that? Well, again, he's using creation language. God created them male and female. This has to do with everyone within your household. And not only that, but also your livestock. What, what, are, what are the cows and the, and the sheep doing here? What, why is that? And then, not only that, but the sojourner in your gate. I used to crack up with, with uh, seminary with my, uh, many of my Old Testament and Hebrew professors had studied over in Israel at various different times, whether at Hebrew University or other, other places there, to not only study the language, but also the culture and all of those things, and it was wonderful. But as Gentiles, oftentimes as they were living in dorms or other, other housing with, with Jewish scholars who were there too, the Jewish perversion of the Sabbath is such that they turned anything and everything that's possibly considered work into work. So uh, using of a machinery is, is work. And they've nailed that down all the way to a switch is a machine, technically. So what does that mean? You can't flip a light switch on the, on the Sabbath. So what, what the, the Jewish people would do was wait until a Gentile came and said, hey, can you flip that switch for me? I mean, it's so backwards. It's so crazy. Right? And, and he's either your male servant or the, your, your son or the, the sojourner in your gates. It's like the, there's not a way out of that. But, but that's exactly what we find in the Old Testament is everybody's trying to figure out a way to, to be in conformance with the law without actually loving the lawgiver. Right? Is, is there a way that we can finagle this so that we won't be held liable, but we don't actually have to give our heart to the one who's given us the law? And we are amazingly gifted at finding ways to finagle that. It's not just the Jews of old or the Jews over at Hebrew University. We do these kinds of things every day. Is there some way that I can, I can rationalize this? Well, sure there is, but that doesn't make it right. And so the prohibition, God is, is showing us that the prohibition is all-encompassing 
not because he's looking for a way or an excuse to let us have it, but because he's giving us a good gift and he wants us to actually be able to enjoy it. Because if we actually understand the the Sabbath prohibitions and requirements as God has given them, we'll, we'll find an actual rest. We don't have to keep trying. Here's, here's a little test of, of how you might be able to do this in a way that might connect with you. I found the other day my adherence to this little thing, right? My, my cell phone. It's very nice, by the way. I've got a picture of my granddaughter on it. It comes up every time I touch it. It's right there. She's smiling. But I, but I found something is, is that when I would walk even into the other room and this little guy's sitting on some surface and I get in the other I'm right where, where is it where is it something in the world might happen like I could do anything about it but I wouldn't know like why don't you know I want to be at the center. And so I've I found this little instrument that aids me and helps me to, to see the world with me at the center. And God says, buddy, that's not good for you. That will actually destroy you. Because you're not designed to be the center. Remember last week we talked about bearing his name? And if we try to bear his name on our own strength, what happens? We're crushed into dust. We can't bear the weight. We're not designed to. But in the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing that God has completed his work of creation and redemption, He can handle everything. And so what do we say at the beginning? It's about trust. I can trust God with continuing to run the universe as he did for millennia before I arrived. And he will for millennia after I'm gone or until he comes again. And then he will clearly be the one ruling and reigning over everything. You know, as I, as I work through this, and I'm mixing the first and second points here, but not only has God sent apart the Sabbath as holy, but he demands that we keep it holy. And as I wrestled through these kinds of things, and we can talk about the differences between Heidelberg and the Canons of Dort and Westminster in terms of how Sabbatarian they are, and, and others who, who reject that entirely and say, no, the Sabbath doesn't apply to, to Christians at all. And as I, throughout the week, as I was praying through and studying and looking at all these things, and how do I present this? The thing that I found was is that more than anything, I had rising up in me. Well, if I do it this way, if I explain it that way, if I, then, then what? Well, you'll agree with me. Because, you know. God's given us the Sabbath as a gift. And we spend our time bickering with one another, wrestling with one another, 
No, it's this way. No, it's that way. But the Sabbath is a gift to us to celebrate God's finished work. And in the Old Covenant, that was the primary focus, was the work of creation. And then his redemption out of Egypt as a picture of what he was going to do when the greater Moses came. And, and released us not only out of the house of slavery to Pharaoh, but out of the house of slavery to sin. This is, this is the wonder. This is the good news that God has packed into this fourth commandment. That, that when I say to my boss, I'm not working on Sunday. I don't care what kind of bonus is in it. I'm not doing that because this day is a day that God has made holy to himself. That there's actually freedom in that. You say, wait a minute, okay, you switched. The Sabbath was Saturday. Now you're saying it's Sunday. That's a whole nother sermon series that we can get into. But the bottom line thing is, is that we find in creation God makes on days one to six and rests on the seventh, Saturday. And then the Messiah comes. And, and Messiah, Jesus, does all of the work. He lives the perfect life that we're supposed to. He keeps every law as we're supposed to. He does all of these things. And then goes to the cross on Friday, but rises from the dead on Sunday. And, and yes, I agree. I'd love it if God put in his word, you know, maybe, you know, Romans chapter 17 or, uh, you know, Matthew chapter 29 through 30. You know, guys, here's, here's how the Sabbath worked in the old covenant. Here's how the Sabbath works now in the new covenant. And because I raised Jesus on, on Sunday, now that's the Lord's day, and that's, that's when we gather and worship. That's how I would have done it. But praise be to God, I'm not the one who wrote it. And God, who calls us to use our minds and to work through the scriptures and, and figure these things out as the Holy Spirit leads, has given us the scripture that is perfect and sufficient for us. And yeah, there's going to be disagreement. But let us not miss the gift that he's given us. And so, not only in the Old Testament, but also in the New, Jesus arrives and the people are fighting about the Sabbath. So much so that they, they look to catch Jesus, right? Anytime it's the Sabbath, the Pharisees turn out you know, in great numbers, like the fall leaf peepers, right? And they're all watching. Hey, guys, it's the Sabbath. What's Jesus going to do? What's that? What's he doing? And, and so Jesus graciously walks through that with them. He, he helps them to see that the Sabbath is a gift, and they've turned it instead as a torture implement, as something like a club with which to beat one another with. And so 
To answer the main question, he says, the Son of Man, his favorite expression for himself, is the Lord of the Sabbath. He says, I am he. And, and when you look at what the scripture says about Sabbath, what we've seen in Genesis and Exodus, this is the Lord's day. He's the one who's made it holy. This is one of the clearest expressions that Jesus gives to his Jewish audience that he himself is God, Yahweh, and no other. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm, I have made the rules, and I am the reason to celebrate. All wrapped up into one, that's who I am, Messiah. And where they should have fallen on their face to worship him, Instead, they plot how to kill him. Let me just close with three quick ways for you to understand what it means that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. First, as Lord of the Sabbath, it means that he is God. He is the, he is the one who has completed creation. He is the one who in his life and his death and his resurrection has completed the redemption of his people. He is the, the one worthy of all celebration and praise for his greatness and the wonders of what he has accomplished. And we sin against this Jesus when we use his Sabbath for any other purpose than to celebrate the wonder of what he's done. Now, that, what I just said, is not legalism. We sin against him. Now, what do we do with any sin? Confess it, turn from it, and we're forgiven by Christ. But just because we know we can be forgiven of a sin doesn't mean that we say, well, I can go on doing it. Right? Paul says in Romans, may it never be. If you choose to sin because you know there's forgiveness at the end, that's not grace, that's presumption. And God says that is abhorrent to him. Jesus has saved us. Jesus has rescued us from sin, not so that we would sin more, but so that we would delight in him and give him all thanks for the deliverance he has given us. And then we would want to be more like Christ. And so sin less and obey more and obey joyfully. Not only is Jesus God as the Lord of the Sabbath, but he's also the, the one who has accomplished everything that the Sabbath was pointing forward to. The completion of redemption. He's the one who has accomplished our sin. Let me turn this other one off, sorry. Nope, it's not that. Okay, must just mean that I need to wrap up. All right. The, the last thing is that as the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus is calling you to come to him to rest. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. The God who has rescued you is saying you don't have to do anymore. 
your efforts to try to save yourself rather than helping your cause are abhorrent and themselves need forgiveness. And so let us run to Christ to call upon him and put our burden down. For Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you give us good gifts and thank you for your patience when we reject your gifts or hold them with contempt or use them to fight one another with. Oh, Father, forgive us. Thank you, Jesus, that you as the Lord of the the Sabbath did not wait for us to keep the Sabbath or any of these other commandments well enough to be saved because we never could but that you and your grace have kept them all for us and so deliver us out of death and our self-obsession. Lord, we praise you and thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing hymn number 188, Jesus, I am resting, resting. now to Christ who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen.
and amen. Please be seated for just a moment. Hope you can stay and enjoy some uh, fellowship and uh, refreshments in the Billings Room, uh, but uh, also come back if you're able to at three o'clock uh, for Jerry's funeral, and uh, we would love to to get to know you better as we stick around for a time of fellowship. Go now in the peace of Christ. Thank you.